Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a dear friend of the show coming back for the second time. My guest today is Thomas Huda, a former candidate for mayor in Eugene, Oregon. He finished second place in the primary in a very crowded field. Thomas, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a good thing nothing's going on today. I see you're doing some casual reading. Uh, what is that book? Joe Biden magazine it's the, it's the joe biden magazine american collector special edition i'm sure and it's uh nice. yeah for the listeners sorry you're not seeing this beautiful joe biden photo of him eating ice cream that's been heavily memed and that you've probably seen anyway there is something weird about candidates during campaigns eating that i'm not sure i feel good about uh i know my my least favorite person to watch eat is john Kasich. so i knew you were gonna say that yeah well he's this he gets all in there he's a midwesterner yeah, and then I'm pretty sure there was a clip, if I remember right, and I could be making this up, of Donald Trump eating a Snickers bar with a fork. So that is something that should not exist. <laughs> he did eat pizza backwards in a commercial. That's a whole anyway. Well, so, Obama came and ate at Prince Puckler's ice cream, so I thought that was pretty neat. That um, is pretty good. That is good. I wish they hadn't given John Kasich uh, such a role at the DNC when they had neglected to give some other people a role. AOC um, got but, like 14 seconds and John Kasich got like 10 minutes. It is ridiculous. <laughs> he was like standing out in a field. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that just goes to show some of what we're going to talk today is about the um, approach that the Biden campaign and the Democratic National Committee took for what kind of a race to run. And we can talk about whether or not it paid off. Right. So if anybody's unfamiliar with Thomas, you have your own podcast. And at the very end of this, we're going to talk about how you're going through kind of a rebranding. Uh, the Your podcast is called Broken Class. I am a humongous fan of your show. If anybody's Thank listening you. and they like, you're very welcome. They like my podcast. I highly recommend that you listen to yours, Broken Class, on all platforms because it is kind of like what I do, you know, and you live in Eugene, I live in Springfield. So I've been covering a lot of Springfield politics. And so I think that we have a different technique, a different approach. You're pretty uh, formally educated. I am a barber, you know, so there's these different kind of ways <laughs> that we go about things, which I think is great, you know, and so we'll, we'll talk about that at the end of this. Also, we're going to be playing a song. Uh, Thomas is a hip hop artist, uh, the name that you go by gradient. And yeah. I'm also a big fan of your music. So I'm a big fan of you as a human being. This is really cool. Wow. Even yeah. after I haven't got that collab verse back to you in like months. 
I know we're doing a song about uh, uh, gay rights, basically, and and just about embracing who you are and loving yourself. And and it's really it's a pretty song. So. So, yeah, we'll we'll get that done one of these days. So anyways, Thomas, thank you for doing this. Uh, This is really cool. Uh, We're going to get right into it. You know, we're going to start talking about a lot of local stuff because that's kind of what my show has has really became began became those are words uh and then we'll get into the national stuff but i definitely want to say before we get too far joe biden it has been officially announced that joe biden is going to be the 46th president uh it's a you know he was like my ninth choice but i'm really (laughs) i'm really excited about what he's gonna do he's really won me over more than i thought was possible and then we're gonna talk about this again at the end kamala harris this is an historic moment for women of color for women for america so i know that you've got a lot of of interesting things to talk about with her so we'll get to that in a bit i wanted to focus on the local stuff first and then we'll get into the the national stuff so uh let's just get right into it the biggest takeaway from the local uh election in eugene so i'll focus a little bit on springfield in a minute but let's let's hear what you have to say that your face value first big takeaway from the eugene recent you know 2020 election Oh, that's a great question. Um, I I would say that in the city council and mayor races, we had a lot of the people win who you would expect to win. There was one race that was competitive and it was in Ward 1. But I would say that within the system that we use, um, it's rare for a primary to go all the way into the general where you have a competitive race in the general for a city seat. Um, So... That was Ward 1. Eliza Kaczynski uh, was a challenger for Emily Semple, who is a one-term incumbent city councilor. This is kind of like central Eugene. It's a, it's a really, really neat ward. It's, it's just north of the South Hills. It's just east of West Eugene. You know, it's, it's, it's right there in the heart of Eugene. Um, and it actually ended up being a bigger margin than I expected with Emily Semple taking, I think, 19-point lead. About 60-40 is how it went. Um and where I would tell you that I, um, with no disrespect at all to either of the candidates, because I think they're both competent people, um, first of all, the race became a little more negative than was expected, I would say, for Eugene. Eugene does not dive that much into contentiousness that gets on full display in the public. I'm sure people keep their private feelings to themselves about their opponents and their, the opponent's camp. But um, I was, you know, there was a lot of mailers and there was a lot of um, sort of rumors about campaign contributions um, with the challenger candidate. And I think that they were they were very overblown. But um, basically what what I would say I was a little bit cynical about is that, you know, and for this small city council race, like it took a lot of money for both of those candidates to be competitive. And that's not something I really want to see. Um, but, uh, you know, tons of yard signs, uh, Emily yeah. simple owns a graphic design company. So it's not too surprising. She would have tons of yard signs, tons of I mailers, mean, so, you know, so big, like name. it's like a four page magazine she was sending to people basically, wow. you know, so I'm, yeah. I have to be honest. I, since I bought a home in Springfield and I really hit it hard focusing on Springfield races this year, I didn't follow a lot of the stuff going on in Eugene since I wasn't going to be voting for it. And, but I, I, I've seen Emily Semple's name everywhere. 
And I, you know, because the yard signs were very prevalent. So name recognition can be really big for a campaign. <clears throat> I don't have any input on the character of either candidate. Cause I didn't follow it. Did you did a podcast with one of them? Is that correct? Yeah. I podcasted with Eliza um, Kaczynski and, you know, I, uh, told her out front, I was like, you know, maybe at the end of this, I'll endorse you, which is something I had done with Doyle when I inter interviewed her. And I also joked that my endorsement is not particularly meaningful, but, um, you know, we talked about the Charlie Landeros, uh, mural, the fibers of history mural that's downtown. And, um, I thought that her answer was sincere and warm, but I was a little bit surprised by the fact that she hadn't seen the mural in person of course in covid a lot of people are staying home and that's that's helpful and important um she clarified at first because i thought she hadn't even seen photos of it but then she clarified that she had seen some of the photos um but she didn't want to weigh in too much about it without having um seen it and so you know that was one of the things where uh, i told her that i believed she would win and turns out i was wrong um but you know, she, it was a really competitive, it was an incredibly competitive primary. And the fact that she um, netted over 30% of the vote in the primary in a field of six was pretty remarkable and really right. impressive. Um, so she'll continue to be in the conversation. She was um, speaking a lot about um, urgency of solutions for homelessness, for unhoused communities um, and affordable housing, et cetera. Um, and, you know, she'll continue to be an advocate on those issues. Um, I would say that within the city of Eugene, um, 9.6% for a write-in campaign, for a combined write-in um, total for Isaiah Wagner and or um, a couple other people who might have thrown in a, a more um, low-key write-in campaign. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, Lucy Venice, of course, stealing uh, <laughs> stealing 90%. It's I've Freudian at almost this point. Yeah. <laughs> no, I love Lucy. I've, I've come oh. to really, really um, like Lucy, although... Um, I, I disagree with a lot of the leadership um, uh, style and uh, tenor and just direction. But I also recognize that nobody can know what it's like to be in that seat um, unless you're, you're really there. I can't imagine. The Eugene mayor is a, a difficult position. And that, again, I mentioned at the beginning, if someone might have missed it, that you uh, were a candidate in the primary and, and were second place in a very crowded field. You weren't part of the solidarity platform. Is that correct? There was a solidarity group. There was a, a few candidates that kind of grouped together that said, we don't care who you vote for, vote for one of us. We want to make sure that the that Lucy Venice does not <clears throat> receive 50%, 51%. That was the goal. That yeah, they they ran multiple um, candidates in Ward 1 and they ran multiple candidates for mayor. So that kind of shows you that they were seeking to claim space in the electoral process based on where they were um, living in the city and not necessarily that they were all trying to um, sort of pile in for one person. Right. And the goal with um, that race was to try to make a competitive November race because a lot of the lay people people who are not political junkies they're not going to vote in the primary or they're not going to um, vote in down ballot races in the primary maybe they would still want to support bernie but unfortunately it wasn't a competitive presidential primary by the time may 19th rolled around um so you know that kind of suppressed um things but um you know we we combined to net um about 33 percent of the vote and so that wasn't enough to reach the 50 percent with the six challenger candidates that would create a top two runoff where it would have been myself versus lucy venice 
Um, but you know, I, I would tell you that I, I wasn't a part of their platform. I had my own campaign that I had been running for months and months prior to their, um, decision to come together and make that statement and do what they did. Um, they kind of put all of their websites on one website. It was a really cool thing. I, I um, really like it. Yeah. 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 So I, so I, I kind of worked closely with them. We did an event or two, very COVID safe. Um, but yeah, I, I was not part of them in part because of slight ideological differences as well. Um, you know, I probably wouldn't say I'd probably say on some things I was not as far left. Um, but in the spirit of, you know, a whole bunch of the things that they were talking about, I, I support. Yeah, I mean, and I think that the more voices you can have, especially in the primary, is really important. Now, on a on a, any level, I've I've kind of learned, uh, on a national level especially, I've learned that the primary is the place for I don't want to call it a protest vote, but to kind of rock the boat. You know what I mean? Where you can you can have candidates that are against the norm. In the general election, we kind of have to look at the candidate that has the best chance to defeat the person that. You know, we'll get into that in the national stuff. Now, you had mentioned voting down ballot, and we had talked about Isaiah Wagner, who ran a campaign in the general election, a write-in campaign. He was a guest on both of our podcasts. We approached it much differently. I was a little easier on him than you were. You kind of asked tough questions, questions, which Isaiah welcomed. I really, I'm going to talk about this a lot on this episode because your podcast is great broken class i'm going to mention the name a bunch of times you can search for it on on any podcast streaming site like broken glass but with a c right and there's there's youtube videos as well so uh isaiah was that your guys's conversation was just oh my gosh it was so good because you touched on so many difficult topics and had an open dialogue with no judgment. And there was some things said that you vehemently disagreed on that I thought it was just a really good conversation, you know, and I think that there was a lot of people from different belief systems that could listen to that and get something good out of it. So even though this, this is a past thing, I don't think that it's an out of date conversation that you were having, you know, just because the election is over, the conversations you were having are things that are really just take picking up steam, you know, so it's, it's something I recommend, but Isaiah should be commended on, on his run. And, and the people that he was, I saw a lot of support and bringing people to the table as far as using their voice to vote and to turn out that would then vote down ballot, you know, however they saw fit. And it wasn't just Democrats that he was getting support from, you know, there was people that were not affiliated and probably some Republicans that were voting, you know, being that there was not a challenger on the ballot in the mayor race, I think that opened the door for more right-leaning people to be like, well, then I'm going to write this guy in, you know, he's running a campaign and I want to, I want to rock the boat a little bit. So there was that. Well, well, he was, he was um, pretty, pretty careful and selective about his policy um, ideas and, and uh, goals that he had laid out. And, you know, one of them that is important to him was um, the tax system. And uh, he kind of acknowledged that it wasn't something that the city would have a ton of control over in terms of the overall tax burden of an Oregonian who lives in Eugene. That's a lot more of it is at state and additionally federal level. But, you know, it, just talking about how he's pulling in different different constituencies from across the these political spectrum, as it were, um, you know, and I would say that um, 
you know, you talked about how we, we had conversations that were about things that are, you know, kind of difficult or controversial or something. You know, I ask people at the beginning of my show all the time, what's a controversial opinion that you have about anything? And that's one of the only questions that I that I have in the can. Otherwise, it's a very open dialogue, kind of right. like you. Um, and that's because, you know, I believe what I love about podcasting as a medium is it's so accessible and widespread for people who do care about it and like it um, where we can step away from this, like, you know, exorbitant brevity, this um, just like tiny slices of like, I'm just firing off. Like, you know, these, this social media just like incentivizes particularly Twitter, you know, short jabby statements. And I really do think of it as like a stab. Like when you're talking on Twitter, it's like people are looking at a big, gaseous cloud of like gray information that's swarming enough and you're trying to you're trying to have something that jumps out of the cloud like into yeah. people's faces and Just it's like you're lines. yeah you have to be sharp and you have to try to stab your information out there i don't know it's like it's um and that that's not always bad sometimes it can be hilarious right. sometimes it's really funny to see like Oh, like Doug Emhoff, now the elected second gentleman who's Kamala Harris has been tweeting this really serious thing. And then there's like some like ridiculous meme. And then there's like a Peter DeFazio tweet. And then, you know, it's just like it's a variety show. Sure. Um, but with podcasts, you can you can dig deep into things. And then I try to make it accessible to people who don't listen to podcasts all the time by time stamping the topics. If you go to any of the YouTube videos, um, maybe not hundred percent of, of them, but you know, YouTube has this great feature now where you can um, easily put chapters in a longer video so that I could jump straight to 30 minutes in 45 minutes in to talk about, you know, this controversial for me, it's, I'm thinking of the topics that are controversial, but also I always try to ask people in the political world, especially candidates for office about what music inspires them and, and try to try to dig into the humanity right. of people. And yeah, you, um, that's the beauty of the podcast is that you can really hear the tone and the tenor of some, you know, what somebody's about. And right. I just, I, I really encourage anybody listening to go check that one out. It was a really good episode and all of your episodes are good. You And again, we'll get into the rebranding and stuff at the end of this. we got a lot to go over, so we're going to have to move along. But I want to mention in the Springfield uh, City Council race, I had both guests on Corey Rodley, Johannes Tadeo. Corey Rodley was the winner. Johannes is has a bright, bright future in Lane County politics. The outreach that he does for the homeless population and for the Latinx community is humongous. So you're going to hear that name again. So Johannes Tadeo ran a really good campaign. I think he ended up with like 44 or 45% of the vote. So it was, you know, he did, he did really good and he's a young guy. I mean, it's, so he's got a bright future, but Corey Rodley will, will mix up city council in a time where Springfield needs something of a breath of a fresh air. Now there's going to be someone else appointed to city council soon because they'll be appointing a new mayor and we'll be paying attention to that closely. And I'll have people on to talk about it. Uh, my prediction is that it's going to be Sean Van Gordon and and we'll see how that goes. So Corey Rodley was a great choice though. Um, and I didn't make an endorsement in that. And I'm not going to say who I voted for. I voted for both of them. So no, no, I'm just not going to get into it. But, but uh, so that was a good one. Now, some of the ballot measures, ballot measure 110 is the decriminalization of drugs. That's obviously the one that's getting the most national news. And then in the barbershop, the week of this election, that was the one that was having the most conversation, because I think that nobody knows what it actually means or how it works or how it's going to be played out. 
And that's why I kind of wish it would have, in my opinion, been shot down because if we don't know how things are going to be implemented, then the conversation needs to be longer. And this is why campaigns are long. You know, I wish I would have had more time to focus on it. We did an episode in, in opposition of that. But what are you hearing? I saw about, it. Yeah, about ballot measure 110. What are you hearing? Just kind of the buzz on the street are, you know, the people, a lot of people are for it, but there's people that were for the idea that were against the measure. So, right. What is your take on it? Hey, well, that is ultimately where I was, Patrick, Patty, um, was that I really believe in decriminalization of these, these substances um, because of the exorbitant prison population of this country where we go after people based on consuming, you know, a substance and, and possibly giving them a long prison sentence or, you know, coupling that with, you know, other um, sentences that amount to a really, really troubled and challenged and in many ways ruined life based on, you know, those sorts of personal decisions. Um, and so, there were issues with the measure though that were financial that were really, really concerning to me as someone who cares deeply about education. Yeah. Um, and you know, I got this information from fellow teachers, um, but I also was, was better informed on the whole, uh, issue from a treatment perspective, uh, treatment provider perspective, um, because of your episode with Chris Wig, who's a program director, uh, director at emergence, uh, addiction recovery specialist, and, uh, also the chair of the Democratic, party of lane county so he's got a lot of wisdom on kind of multiple fronts of that measure um i didn't fully agree with what he was talking about as i think i told you um but uh because i'll just unpack that briefly and then i'll talk more about the measure you know um what the measure is doing is it's taking money from other places in the state budget and putting them into um assessment and treatment um opportunities for people uh who you know, get like, let's say found with a possession charge or something. Um, and, you know, my biggest opposite, my opposition to what Chris said, though, he really um, made me wiser about why the money wouldn't be the most productive thing um, was he basically came at it and said, as one part of what he was saying, that if you have, you know, a small amount, uh, if you have an, any amount of one or two drugs, I think heroin, and, heroin, meth. heroin and meth, right? Um, in your pocket, then that is a problem and you have a problem, you know, and that needs to be treated. And I think the the automatic nature of that assumption just troubled me a little bit um, because I just thought it was a big leap to make. However, yeah, in many cases and from his perspective, I can totally understand why he would say something like that. He is seen firsthand Many people who struggle with addiction and with these very serious, um, you know, with addictions to the, to these drugs that can become incredibly serious and can take over a person's life and jeopardize their, uh, you know, relationship with their family and with having a home and et cetera. Um, I just, I'm such a hyper specific person, which is why I like podcasts. <laughs> I don't, I didn't like that, but he did have some wise things to say about how in the state of Oregon, um, if you go to a treatment provider to go into a program with them, they have to conduct their own internal assessment anyway. So the state funded one before would become redundant. Right. And so that, that was one of the things And the, and the financial issue that I talked about was mostly that 
across a four-year period, ballot measure 110 is going to take $90.1 million from the state school fund, which is going to really, which is going to be a, a difference maker uh, um, for public education. And uh, the Oregon state uh, public education, it, the state of things around here is dire. It's dismal. And uh, I can really hardly support anything unless it's like miraculous in other ways right. that would uh, that would reduce the state school fund. Yeah, I voted against it, you know, because I just I thought that there was a lot of problems with with it. Actually, yeah. So anyway, so um, Springfield Fire, you know, Springfield Fire levy passed. I had the fire chief on my podcast, and uh, he it was great to hear what they had to say. I think it was a pretty much a no brainer after what we witnessed with uh, you know up to McKenzie. Surprisingly, Lane Fire Authority, which I don't know a ton about this, so I don't I don't want to speak too much on it. It was voted down, and I don't know much about that. That's a more of a rural fire uh, district. Maybe they just didn't want to pay the tax, you know. Uh, Pleasant Hill voted to save their fire department from dissolution, so so that was good. There's not really not too much to discuss. I mean, that's pretty pretty much. There was three different uh, things in in Lane County on fire departments. Two of them passed. One of them didn't. You know the way that the fire department is ran Eugene Springfield being one department, I'm sure that the lane fire authority, maybe it was redundant. Maybe they can cover that area. You know, sometimes the response time might be slow, but you know, I don't know. I don't know enough about that, but the, I did want to touch on that, that I'm glad that the Springfield voters voted that through because it, in a time where we saw fire devastate the community and was threatening Springfield. And I don't know. I mean, people can debate that, but that when there's evacuations past Thurston high school, that's pretty scary. You know, you know, I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty wild and it was happening so fast. Now I'm not sure if this will happen because of different things, but, and I don't want to make a huge announcement right now because it's not confirmed, but my plan next week is to interview someone that was affected by the fires that lost their home. So that's something that's in the works. And so I will be covering that. So we'll talk a lot about the McKinsey fire department, you know, the, or the McKinsey fire, the holiday farms fire in the coming weeks. So that should be really good. Uh, Peter DeFazio, you know, this was a really close race. Uh, I'm not surprised it was because of the amount not, of money. not that close, <laughs> well, but, but it's closer than it had the, been in the past with his previous challengers. Right. Art, Art Robinson, uh, who ran, has ran against Peter DeFazio 142 times, uh, cause they've both, <laughs> been, in, they've both been in, in that running for Congress for the last 120 years. I think uh, it was five cycles. Legitimately. Yeah, just pretty wild. You know, it was like the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals or whatever it is, where it was just kind of just kind of goofy. But De- Scarlato, I have it on good authority that DeFazio told people in a circle for a long time. Art Robinson is the best thing that ever happened to me. Sure. Because he's such a kook that he, he was able to be easily defeated. And DeFazio could focus on legislating and not as much on campaigning campaigning yeah so scarlatos was really popular in my neighborhood i know that there was lawn signs to prove it uh i think he i think you know i always think it's interesting when people use the military they're like they were in the military and i'm like well i mean that's cool there's great people that served and there's people that aren't so great that served you know just because you did does not make a qualification and that's my opinion, you know. Maybe, maybe that's an a controversial opinion, you know. But <laughs> that you were talking a lot about of people. It could be, um, but Defazio was also in the military. Sure, right, right. And so, I mean, because yeah, 
I mean, you know, obviously Chris Kyle, a person like that comes to mind where people, some people think he's a hero and other people think he's, he's, he's always gone now. So let's not talk about that. But I mean, it's such a, again, I, I, I hate to, and I don't even, I feel like I'm interrupting you, but I hate to try to unpack everything and say, oh, you're, that's too broad of a statement, but that's, that's fundamentally who I am. A lot of the times sure. I get into the weeds. So yeah, the, the, the general idea that because somebody had served in the military, is just too broad for me to make an assessment about whether or not what, what they did in with their service was was good or bad. Right. And that's know? what I'm saying is, is that that was the big selling point of him. Some of the qu- comments that were used in campaign ads about him not believing in a minimum wage maybe were taken out of context. It sounded like a recording of his voice. So that was pretty powerful, you know, and uh, being against another stimulus. I think that probably had a little bit more nuance to the, the campaign ad, the, the whole, like what maybe a podcast would have been a good thing. I'm sure they existed. Uh, I did reach out to a couple people that were U of O students, college Republicans that never came to fruition that were very strong supporters of Alec that I, Alex Carlados that I was interested in having on, but no response. So mm-hmm. they weren't interested in finding my audience, you know, the votes there. So yeah, that didn't happen. Okay. I was a f- uh, in the primary. I supported Doyle Canning. I'm a big believer in Doyle Canning. I think she has a really bright future. She was gracious enough to come on and give her endorsements in the general election recently on my podcast. And that was an incredible episode. She's, you can tell that she's relaxed now. The camp, she worked really hard on her campaign. And Fabio has a really, really strong base, you know? So, oh, yeah. So he had, he's done a lot for a lot of people in our community. I'm a big fan of DeFazio and I wanted that to be clear when I endorsed her that it wasn't when, when you have these primaries, you can like multiple candidates, you know, you have to pick the one you like and try not to destroy the one you don't. Cause that might be the one you're voting for in the, in the end. Great example of that is a uh, County commissioner, South Eugene. We, we don't know how much we'll get into that, but Lori Trieger versus Hoeli Boa. Come on. Two people who, are gonna serve, in my opinion, Pete Sorensen's Pete Sorensen's legacy well, uh, yeah. and Lori Trigger won by about eight percentage points. Um, but they they both were running, you know, somewhat historic campaigns. Lori would have been, um, Lori will become the first woman to represent that district, not the first woman to represent uh, Lane County on the board of commissioners, but still, um, you know, and just her background, talking a lot about how she had has received services from the county and seen everything from sort of all perspectives with her nonprofit work and her, you know, decades of, of work. Um, and then Hoeli Boa, um, who I always knew growing up as Joel, uh, you know, just depending on how you want to pronounce it, uh, would have been the first Latinx County commissioner. Uh, and also just has a incredibly impressive, uh, resume not even for his age because that that will often be said like oh for your age you've done a lot he's just kicked ass in this community and grew up here and has uh, i've known him for i've known him a little bit peripherally because we never went to school together but but for a long time and he's a powerhouse particularly with um immigrant rights and his work with causa oregon but also with environmental advocacy um so yeah that's that was the only competitive county commissioner race um but, you know, we, we yeah. talk about uh, these firsts. OK, and I want to I want to touch on this first, mm. you know, first woman in a, in a, in a seat, first person of uh, maybe Latinx. And, and, and you were running uh, not only as potentially the first 
mayor of color in Oregon, but also someone that's that considers himself non-binary. And, yeah. and so, uh, you know, you're really open with, with, with pronouns. I, I slip and say, he, I, you know, I'm, I'm not great at it. And you've, you've made it clear to me that you're accepting of any pronoun. And I think that that's really cool. Uh, and, and, you know, I respect people and I'll try to respect, respect it by using the proper ones. Uh, now it's my personal decision at this point, you know, sure. and, uh, and I love that the conversation is, is becoming more inclusive of people with pronouns that maybe aren't even he, she, or they, Sure. but, um, I, I you know, I, I know where I live and I know where, where, uh, as I'm someone trying to do politics, like I really do want to get elected at some point. It's not just that I'm running uh, for vanity or for saying like, you know, like I'm going to be this per this like first non-binary candidate here. It's like, no, like, like this is something that we have to normalize over time that I believe that should be normalized. And, you know, one thing, you know, ab about me is that I'm, uh, I I'm not dissing, I'm not dissing people who have a different view than this, but I'm very open to people not, um, agreeing you know, about a whole host of different things. And right now, um, for very understandable reasons, people say, um, like, if you don't agree that my gender identity is real or something, you know, then um, we can't, we can't have a discussion. We can't be friends. We, uh, you are disrespecting something that's fundamental to me. And you must, that must come from, uh, or whether that comes from a place of hate or not, that must be, um, it's, it's too, it's too, big of a um chasm for us to bridge you know and i just don't i don't particularly feel that way that could be a result of certain privileges that i have or it could just be a result of like always having an incredibly open-minded view of who i can be friends with and who i can associate with um from growing up in santa clara northern eugene you know just sure. getting along with a bunch of working class kind of people who didn't go on to um get a massively privileged education like I did from Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation to go to, you know, a couple of really fancy schools and Ivy League, blah, blah, blah. So, um, you know, it's it's a hard thing for me to even say because I sit here and I'm like, I, uh, I don't want to diss anybody because, again, like people who are doing some of the work to um, make me have more rights, <laughs> like I appreciate those people. Sure. Um, it's just, you know, this guy – uh, I, I, maybe I'm such a ham, but I believe in what he says about, uh, Joe Biden saying, you know, he wants to unite the country and, um, and that's the goal. And I get what you're getting at with that. Now, what I was touching on with the, um, check in a box kind of situation where certain candidates hmm. will be the first in an area, the big, you know, in the Springfield city council race that I follow really closely, Johannes being, uh, of the Latinx community and bringing new voters to the table, which we had mentioned before about people that vote down ballot, whatever party, I think that the more people that vote, the more that democracy is served, you know? And, and so what, what happens, why I, I've had these different views that I've kind of battled with over the years where people are like, well, I don't want to vote for someone because of what they are, that you vote for who they are, you know, you vote for them as an individual. And so sometimes, sometimes people have, they're like, well, I'm not going to vote for them just because of, you know, just because they're black or just because they're gay or whatever it is. The reason that I think certain groups need to be represented, especially on city council is because there is no representation. So when we're having these stories where we talk about the first of this group, 
that is historic and that is necessary for us to provide a perfect union or get you know progress towards a perfect union because there's so many people that are not heard from you have told me off of air and i hope this is okay to say because it may have been off the record or whatever about you know being of asian american descent and whatnot and and how representation on television mattered so much to you you know oh, absolutely and, you know and so when you get representation there's just certain things Johannes told me about something about literature being published in a political fashion that's in Spanish and why it's so important to certain communities. Yes, they may speak English, but maybe they're not as comfortable with it. It's not their first language. So why these people matter just as much as anybody else, you know, <laughs> you know, so right. we need to let them be a part of the process because they deserve representation, you know? And so I think, right. Sometimes well, if there's a tie, if there's a tie, if both candidates are great, I might right. I might then be like, well, the edge is going to go to the minority in this situation because of the Looking, facts. Viewing it as a factor in your assessment of what they bring to the table, literally to the table, to the dais of power that they're going to sit on, um, I think is totally relevant. Um, I can I would I would totally agree with the statement that you, I would not vote for somebody and you should not vote for somebody just based on the fact that they have a representational sort of box that they can check off, that they have an identity um, that that is different or that hasn't been seen. Never, never a great reason to, just to vote for them, but totally a, a thing to consider um, in the whole context of their candidacy. Uh, same with same with affirmative action. People, people, like Abby Fisher, you know, back in uh, when she didn't get into UT Austin, was really upset. Uh, and basically thought it was it was um, racist against her um, as a white girl. And uh, you know what? There are tons and tons of qualified white people that get into UT Austin and uh, her grades were average. I'm so maybe that's the Asian in me, but I'm like, sorry, hon, your grades were average. Um, and, and schools benefit from and communities benefit from engaging respectfully across diverse lines. Right. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, gosh, we could do a whole podcast about this. Oh, yeah, because uh, it is. We should. We but, should. We have a lot to cover. So, yeah, I mean, we definitely should, you know. And I want to, <laughs> the first time I had you on the podcast, I didn't know you, you know. And the more that we've built this friendship, the more that it opens up new doors for new conversations. And so, this is one thing I love about the show is bringing people back on, building the relationship. People get to experience me having this growing bond with my guests and it's a beautiful thing you know because you and i i mean i consider you to be somebody i had i admire respect uh, we don't agree on everything you know but but i i definitely sure. learn from you um, every single time we talk so that's really cool uh we yeah i'm not a celtics fan I, I can't fuck with that you shut your mouth but so uh <laughs> so anyways especially since the lakers just won the championship i don't want to get into that so lebron's any, the goat like the goat yeah we're not talking about that anyway so <laughs> The Democratic supermajority, this is the last thing we're going to talk about locally. The Democratic supermajority in Oregon winning both the House, both houses and the Secretary of State, that is really big because redistricting is on the horizon. And if the Republicans decide to walk out like they have in the past, then, you know, they're not needed in this now. So they, the, you know, this is why elections matter. I know that we heard that a lot from Trump. The elections matter, you know, that's where the Supreme Court is being chosen. So, in the coming years, uh, 
Oregon is is controlled by the left now. And so we're going to see it go farther left. And this is why elections matter. And when you choose a candidate like Donald Trump to be so divisive, not only do you motivate people on that side, you also motivate people to run against it, like an Isaiah Wagner that was bringing people to the table that was then, wait a minute, I don't like this and vote against it. You know, there's just mm. there's a lot of stuff that happens down ballot. And so that's a big thing. What are you, what is your take on that, on the supermajority and what that means for the for the state? The very first thing I would say is that um, Oregon state legislature is controlled by the Democrats. And looking at where each district is and who's really representing them, you could really complicate the idea that the Democrats equals the left. There are people um, like, let's say, in Portland, I'm very excited about Con Pham. She won a seat uh, in uh, the House of Representatives. She's she's very left. Um, but there are people like Nancy Nathanson uh, in North Eugene who is liberal, but, you know, is she really left? She's just, I don't she, think she would call herself a leftist. So anyway, but, you know, I had totally... Um, I'm not <laughs> here. I am being nitpicky again. Right. No, no, no. Um, good. But, I, and I understand what you're saying. I mean, I guess my mm-hmm. point being that politics are about coalition building. So you're going to have people that are right. I mean, this is a Joe Biden presidency that just happened that we're going to transition into talking national now that Joe Biden is somebody that is very moderate, but he was able sure. to get the support maybe because of Trump was able to get the support from from the progressives and from everybody else, you know, but I mean, what we need to see in our state government is, um, you know, my state Senator, James Manning, you're familiar with him, uh, Senate district seven. Uh, okay. He's a, he's a powerhouse. He's a, he's a former uh, military veteran. Um, and, uh, he's one of the only, he's one of two black state senators that we have. Um, and his wife, Lawanda is amazing. And they just like really in there with the community, well-known going to events. Um, He's going to I want him to work on policies with Art Robinson now. Art Robinson has a state Senate seat now. You know, he he won uh, and now they're in the state Senate. There's only 30 people in that body. You got to reach across the aisle and get things done, you right. know. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I would say for, for statewide races, um, congrats to Shamia Fagan. Um, I, I didn't vote for her in the primary. Um and, uh, you know, she's she seems like she has a rising star potential. You know, Kate Brown was initially secretary of state. Right. right. She ran yeah, against Kate, Wick, Rick Dancer and right, against Rick Dancer. And uh, uh, I'm not going to get into the Rick Dancer stuff, but Rick Dancer could have been governor, you know, so right. so we could be in a different world. And that's well, well I didn't I didn't follow this too closely, but Bev Clarno, the current secretary of state, she's a Republican. She was appointed after Dennis Richardson passed away, I believe. Um, I don't seem to have any um, issue with, with that I know of with how she's governed, you know, sure. uh, you know, so and being the only statewide Republican that like Oregon Republicans had in office, like, you know, that's a big role to be able to like, like basically feel like you're you're the top representative of all Republicans in the state. Um, and Oregon prides itself on, you know, the secretary of state's main goal. Main role is to facilitate the elections and, right. you know making it a very democratic process, making it as easy as possible to vote. You know, maybe I, I would like to see Oregon uh, having a little bit of a later registration deadline, for example, some, many States have same day registration. Could that be done in Oregon? It might be a little tricky with our system. Um, But you know, you know, speaking I'm of just that, basically uh, saying she did fine to, to my view. We're, we're talking about voting in Oregon and secretary of state is who who oversees that. 
you know, and voting in Oregon, I mean, with COVID, we're, we were equipped for this. We were, nothing is different for us. Now, I looked this morning just because I was going over some of these races. Oregon, as of this morning, had 82% of the vote was counted, 82%. So there's still progress. This is normal. This is normal for us. You know, so people are like, why is it only one day? I mean, I, I think in the past, some of the calls in different races are premature. You know, I think Arizona is going to be one that Fox announced it early and that might have actually controlled the narrative to help Biden, you know, in a lot of ways, as far as the narrative, the conversation nationally, where, I mean, they announced it today, but I mean, it's just interesting to watch this play out with mail-in balloting ballots across the country and how unprepared certain States were because it's such a new thing. I love mailing my ballot in. Well, we dropped it at a Dropbox. I love voting from my right. kitchen table, I guess is what I should say. I absolutely love it because I can fill it out for a week. <laughs> you know, I mean, I yeah. sit there and I think about it and I'm like, well, let me sleep on that. Because sometimes you don't even know what's on the ballot until you get it in the mail. And so not sometimes, every time there's something that I'm like, oh, I didn't know about this. The decriminalization of drugs. I didn't know about it until a couple of weeks before the actual vote. You know, and that's not the way that things should be done. And that's why I'm doing this podcast. And that's why you do your podcast or one of the reasons I can't speak for you, but I'm sure you agree, you know, that we can try to at least raise awareness for these topics. So there's only one other one, one other place where I voted because uh, I grew up in Oregon, obviously, and that was Minnesota 2016. I caucused for Bernie in the primary, which was I've been to a caucus. It's kind of goofy and different, but it's also kind of cool. Um I don't really support it because it tends to favor the elites. <laughs> like it tends to favor people who have more and more time to devote to politics and go and, and caucus. Um, but then I voted uh, early in person for Hillary Clinton and um, Angie Craig, the Congresswoman who won. Uh, and so anyway, uh, she actually won in 2018 though. We're and um, feedback on your side. I don't know if you need to shake the cord. Sorry. So not mm, to cut you off, but we're just getting a little feedback. Okay. Okay. That's much better. Okay, good. Sorry, Thank you. I can't yeah. hear it on my side. Yeah, I know. Um, so. But all, all I'm saying is when you go in the booth, you don't have a ton of time, like, or at least you feel the pressure of the people behind you and around you to, to see the ballot for the first time and see what um, you're going to be voting on. Like, I think that I benefited a lot as a mayoral candidate, um, particularly because I wanted to have a good looking website and I feel I did a pretty good job of that. I'll do better next time. Um, but you know, like people can sit at their kitchen table and be like, who am I voting for as my fucking mayor? Like one of the most influential people over my day to day life. Um, Some of it, you, one you of know? the reasons, I mean, you ran a good campaign and don't take this the wrong way when I say this, but your face and picture and, and story being in the voters pamphlet was very beneficial. Some of the candidates did not. I'm not talking about if that equated to votes. I don't have any studies to support that. But what I'm saying is I know a lot of people that I've oh, it definitely to adds to votes to, yeah, to be in there versus to not. Yeah. You know, and so there's there's a whole process. And so, I mean, there's a lot to it. So we have a lot to cover, so we're going to have to get through it because we're already getting up towards an hour. But, you know, uh, Georgia, I, it looks like Biden is going to win Georgia. I don't know if that's been called, but Stacey Abrams. It's going to go for a recount. Okay. But Stacey so Abrams, close that it's gonna regardless, that, yeah. flip that, even to get to this point, Stacey Abrams deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Now, Stacey Abrams is the face of this movement to get people to out out to vote new registered voters in Georgia, but you had posted something. There's a list of people that were uh, people that should be recognized in that. She wasn't alone in that work, which you can never do anything again. I'll say it a million times, 
politics or coalition building. Stacey Abrams was defeated with that. We could be here forever, but in Georgia in the race for governor and then, but she ran an incredible campaign and she was kind of screwed in that one. It sounds like there was voter suppression and stuff going on there because the she ran against the secretary of state in Georgia who was, who was, (laughs) how can you be the referee and be the, you know, LeBron, Sorry. Well, LeBron Kevin Garnett. LeBron is in cahoots with the referees, but that's a different <laughs> that's a different t- for a different time. Uh no, right. so I mean Stacey Abrams is the face, you know, of Georgia in this election. Even if it falls short, she deserves a ton of credit. And how many people she motivated across the country to get out and vote in the black community and just in general, you know, and I'm a firm believer the more people that vote, the better. You know, I think that we should have a hundred percent turnout. There should be no less. So hundred, you know, and that was a big one. Um, so I want to talk about the 70 million people that voted for Trump. Okay. So mm. right under 70 million people voted for Trump and we are finding ourselves more divided than ever. Uh, it's interesting when you talk to someone, maybe from the right, that they'll say that Obama was the most divisive president. I would obviously disagree with that and say that Trump is the most divisive president in the division that Obama, because Obama, in my opinion, tried to lead for all Americans. He said it constantly. I believe him. Even George W. Bush would say all Ameri- you know, all Americans. Donald Trump said red states, blue states, red states, blue states. That's division. You know, and Joe Biden has been quoted as saying our opponents are not the enemy. It's time to lead for all of America. What do you say to the people who see the opposing sides? So you see the voters on the opposing side as a threat to democracy. What a challenging thing to say, especially looking at where people from different walks of life come at this issue. It's different than me and it's different than you. And um, I can't make a, a serious blanket statement, but I can say that where I come from on it is that I have seen people that I've felt that I have legitimately really like I'm a nostalgist. I look back at like my younger days with people, people I played basketball with and baseball with and, you know, had history class with and like, just like we worked on a project together. We had this great game against Sheldon and we like, you know, uh, had a buzzer beater shot where it was all awesome. And I, and I look back at those memories and those friendships and I, and I see clearly now or i can probably assume that a lot of those people now support trump um and i know from my relationships with those people that they matter to me and i matter to them and we have a connection it might not be a strong connection anymore but you know we're we follow each other on instagram and we're connected as friends on facebook and maybe we comment on something once in a while or like a post once in a while right but to me those things really matter And I know that being pulled into something that is orchestrated by a con man is um, it's probably, we've all been duped by, by various things, you know, Um, and, or am I being too condescending? Maybe they, they don't feel they've been duped. Maybe they really like people vote in their self-interest and they were willing to look away from so many things that should turn us off about this particular person. And I don't, um, I don't absolve them of that. I think that that was a real error on their part, but we, maybe we live in very different worlds and how can we then get, we, I think ultimately is the idea that we're going to kill those people 
or make them go to Mars? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, I talked about that in my music in 2014 um, when I was talking about Mitt Romney at the time and like uh, people writing off anybody who voted for Mitt Romney. Um, and I think we need to bring uh, everybody that we can into the conversation about humanity. You know, and then, um, I mean, to push back a little bit, just not to push and back, hold this guy accountable too. Right. Is this guy the the anti racist, uh, anti sexist yeah. champion of you know, the that's world? The, that's the thing that a lot of the the complaints. I mean, we're so nauseated by this lesser of two evil exchange every time when it comes to the president. You know, it's and people are tired of it. But you have to think again about coalition building. How there's certain candidates that just cannot get over the the edge. I'm of the belief now that if Bernie were to have won the primary, he wouldn't have not won the election seeing the way that it has gone. 70 million people voted for Donald Trump. And a lot of those people were voting against socialism in their minds. I'm not, you know, I'm not here to talk. I was a strong Bernie supporter. My point being is there's so much disinformation that, you know, we, we live in different worlds. We live in two different countries. It's insanity. I don't know what's going to fix it. I keep trying to post things about, you know, let's not allow violence to be the answer. Let's not hate each other to the point where we have to get violent with each other. But as somebody in the LGBTQ community that you can say, I'm sure, you know, there's people that did not want to recognize your existence you know so what do you i mean how do you come to qualms with those beliefs so we kind of you kind of touched on it in the beginning you know that you want you want to give people every chance you know to kind of have their rights to their own viewpoint is that correct well i think that for legitimate reasons um in let's say progressive spaces that i went through in schooling um that people have understandably adopted this intent versus impact idea where the impact of your actions, let's say on a marginalized community or on a person from a underrepresented background matters more than what you intended. And that's something that has been in a in mainstream society an evolution um, a little bit because we, we used to always talk about, um, you know, what I intended to do, like my, that was not my intention. Sure. Right. Um, and where I want that conversation to be ideally is we recognize that both of those things matter. The yeah. impact probably matters a little bit more, but I'm not going to throw away the intent because yeah. that is something that is, is going to lead to people feeling more castigated, pushed aside, Yes. And who's going to who's going to wrap their arm around those people? People yes. like Trump. Trumpism isn't gone. Tom Cotton might run. Mike Pompeo might run. <laughs> you know, like Rubio. Like, I mean, Rubio, who's somebody that I disagree with on policy, but I've actually liked some of the moves he made when he spoke in Florida to the kids that were the victims in the Parkland shooting. You know that he was there. He challenged ideas about gun rights, gun safety, all that stuff. Now, he was on in front of a ton of people during COVID talking, cheering on the people that were trying to drive, run the Biden bus off the road in Texas. And that, and he's basically taking a page out of the Trump playbook where he's like, wow, I need to be mean to get support. That is a dangerous thing that people need to acknowledge. And I think politics are emotional and politics are about beating your opponent, you know, but sometimes at the end of the day, we need to, 
we need to remember how we go about it. The problem is, is that you have one side. Well, there's vitriol from both sides. There's vitriol inside of the Democratic Party for other Democrats. <laughs> so, I mean, it's coming from both sides where it's it's end all be all. Who cares about your intent? You said did something I don't like. Go away forever. That We need to get better than that. We need to be better. And one of the things I admire about you and what I, I think that you're trying to say or you are saying that I'm trying to paraphrase is that you want to give people a space to be wrong or to evolve, you know, and so that they can they can vocalize their thoughts on something and be heard from, even if their thoughts are something you vehemently disagree with. And I admire that so much that we have to hear each other. You know, we have to hear our hearts and our intent, like you were saying, where, where your heart's right. at, so that we give each other time to educate each other. And that's what you and Isaiah were talking about, which I really thought was a great conversation about just the education of the pain that our actions and words can cause each other. Sometimes the person that's causing the pain or, or I mean, you know, the person that's feeling the pain has to allow the person that is, quote unquote, causing it to be heard from as well, because communication is a two-way conversation, you know? So I don't know. We're in a really bad well, spot. It is a really serious issue that you're talking about, the the hatred. And that's, how can that be a good thing, really? Like, like okay, maybe if you are someone who has always been, um, you know, a very, uh, let's say you have socialist views about the world and you want to catalyze, you know, revolution, Maybe you think that that intensity of the rhetoric now is going to take us to a direction where we really can advocate for those things. But that's, I mean, that, that, that would, I think only happen in a, in a situation where the union breaks apart, you know, that, that, and I don't know if that's a good thing. Um, I would probably say it's not a good thing. Right. Um, But, you know, actually from a, I used to teach a little bit of geography and governing a large state, geographically large state, is really challenging. Yeah. And that's often when you get authoritarian leadership. Uh, People's Republic of China, Russia, look at these really big countries, um, you know, Brazil. You're, you're going to find leadership that is um, people like, I don't know, like there's this firmness that people really like. And um, yeah, handle- I would say that, yeah, exactly. They handle COVID um, better if we're- there's that. No, I'm just joking. joking. They're like, you have no rights. Well, the the peaceful transfer of power that we hope to see, Patty, um, if it the the extent to which it comes, it's going to be based on I think the staffers, the civil servants uh, in the White House and the Trump administration um, who are willing to offer this path towards helping out Biden and Harris become the new taking over the reins, right? Obama did this the very next day. He called Clinton on election night, asked her to accept that it was not looking possible that she would win. She conceded the next morning. Obama had Trump in the White House that next day. And um, it's it's not surprising, but it's just it's still sad that we have a president who's not willing right. to do that. I'm hoping um, he just, resigns. I think that it's in the, the realm of possibility that he will resign, that he will leave before it's time so that he doesn't have to transition that would be the the perfect scenario because i'm actually so my problems with donald trump have never been about republican politics because i don't think he's a republican he's a con man he has no soul i mean it's that simple he doesn't believe anything that he's he doesn't have conviction other than narcissism it's about him and that's it 
And so I look at the people that have supported him and I feel sorry for them because they have been duped. Like you had said before, you know, before we get out of I here, mean, I wanna... he used to, he used to threaten people with lawsuits all the time. He's very right. litigious. And so now what is he suing the state of Georgia over 53 ballots, 53 ballots that are moved off a table. He's trying to do a lawsuit in Pennsylvania over 93 mail-in ballots. These are things that are, that are, such as such a last ditch effort that are going to have no impact. And if he wises up and if people around him that aren't Rudy Giuliani and whose last names are not Trump are able to like Chris Christie's been trying to push him towards accepting the, that he fucking lost. And um, I guess that would be helpful. But honestly, I think a lot of us are just looking forward to not caring about him and his yeah. ego. Oh yeah. That's not it. caring about the ben, fact that he's going to, he's going to die a narcissist. Like he's when Ben, Sh- ben Shapiro, when I agree with Ben Shapiro, then that's a pretty interesting situation. You know, there's times that I've had crossover with beliefs with Rand Paul, you know, because he's a true libertarian. He caves sometimes and, and does what's for the corporate best interest, but we can get, that's not the point. The point is, is that there's times where there's crossover because I truly believe in freedom and democracy, you know? And so right. what we are, are going to see with Trump in the next coming weeks is really dangerous. Before we get into the ending of this long election, we have to talk about Kamala Harris. You know, because Biden is obviously the winner of the presidency, but the historic moment, we touched on it a little bit in the beginning of this about checking a box. I, with Kamala Harris, I I think that her record, she's got some really troublesome things in in her history as a uh, attorney general. That's been talked about ad nauseum. That's not what I'm here to talk about today. The representation for certain people in this country that can see that you know the the glass ceiling is being broken or she is a woman of color there's a lot of pushback from people that question you know they they talk about this amount of blackness i'm not trying to have that debate the debate that i'm trying to talk about is what do you as a person of color i can you could answer this and i couldn't what does it mean to you to see a person of color put into that role i'm very very um, like it's overwhelmingly beautiful to me. It's not even exciting because we knew it would happen, but there's so many things I think about her that get me excited. And, and, and I, and I want the American people to get to know her as a person as much as possible and um, get to know her background and her story. And she is a, a blended family what like that doesn't happen that and probably didn't get talked about that much because it's like there are there's already like you know the rush limbaugh's of the world that are gonna smear her in every possible way that they can (laughs) this idea that she's like a a socialist and she's like the radical left is just not borne out by evidence um and and then then there's an ad campaign that her thing was no hate H8. Right. No. And then there was no ho. There's this push about no ho. And you know what? I'm not going to tolerate. I'm not going to tolerate when a woman is running and someone wants to make it about sex, like literally the act of sex. It's unacceptable, especially when we have two candidates who have men who have visibly had situations that were questionable with them groping people, including Biden. You know, so where there is no not to cut you off, but we need to stand against that. You know, we need to stand that when somebody is going to be sexist like that. Now, I push back when I watched her debate 
And people were like, well, she was given the side eye and they look at it in certain ways. And it's like, remove gender from the conversation. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Right? right. When you're talking about a candidate, that's a woman. If you wouldn't say it about a man, then don't say it. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's that simple. And, and I don't know. But yeah, I mean, the, the people making that statement, most of them voted for Trump. Yeah. You can't act like Trump bragging about his. OK, a lot of them voted for Trump and you can't act like Trump didn't defend the size of his genitalia on a debate stage. You can't act like he wasn't making like all these goofy ass faces that we have. He was bleeding out of her whatever. Know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, all, but the, the, again, and, but back, back to Kamala and representation because we don't even. Sorry. Yeah. We yeah. Side, sidetracked. When you ask me how I really feel about it, man, um, you know, I, I'm half Japanese as East Asian, and sometimes that can be a little bit of a different experience than South Asian. But to me, man, like the, the Asian American community has somebody in the White House that was not even thought of as being a, a, a remote possibility when I was younger. You know, even when I believe, you know, Jesse Jackson had run for president and, and I'd seen some black senators and, and, uh, you know, believing that maybe we could have a black president before Obama was elected. I never believed we would have an Asian American in the white house. Um, and, uh, honestly, I'm not sure whether Kamala Harris will ever become president. I think it would be a real uphill road. And I, and I, and I'm not in this camp of people who thinks Biden is so frail. He's just going to die within four years. Um, anything could happen, but, um, it'll be interesting to see if he doesn't run. I don't think he'll run for reelection. And it'll be interesting to see. I don't think so either. I think that she would be the the person that the party, the corporate moderate part wing of the Democratic Party, who holds all the cards in the executive branch. They will be pushing her. Now you talk about Asian Americans. Uh, I really think that I can say it right now in 2024. If he's on the ballot, my candidate will be Andrew Yang. <laughs> Period. Hey. The more that I see of Andrew Yang, Andrew Yang impresses the crap out of me he's willing to have conversations about the future and though progressives might disagree he's somebody that i actually see implementing progress towards what the future holds so he will if it was today which i'm glad it's not because we can't start the next election when the first one's not even over uh andrew yang is somebody that i admire and it has nothing to do with race you know it has very little to do now his experience is really interesting to me uh no, because it matters. And your experience and what you talk to me about it is, is interesting. No. And one of the things that white people have the privilege of, of having is, is a history where they know where they came from a lot of times. Some don't. Some they call themselves a mutt, whatever you want to call yourself. You know, I being I, I'm an Irish American. I'm proud of my Irish heritage. I'm also Austrian and German on my dad's side, but the Irish part being Patty Rose and Patrick, you know, it's something that I embrace and I, I celebrate. This is why what I've learned is people that are black may not know what country they're from, you know, and this is where it's, it's a different experience. And so just to hear your experience, to hear you talk about Kamala Harris, to hear Kamala Harris talk about her experience, I think we need to celebrate that. And obviously me and you are that we do celebrate that, but there's people in this country that need to be inspired by that conversation that we all have similar stories and then Native Americans that, that have a, a different, you know, we all have different stories, but we all have a story of origin. And I think that we need to learn to embrace those things and it, and make it one beautiful collective America. So it matters. I think she's just going to be an outstanding vice president, man. She's a badass. She's gonna, 
She's a badass. She's extremely tough. She's extremely tough. What she has done as a senator has been really empowering to see because she's she's tough. She's a pit bull, you know, and, and I think she's going to be a great vice president. And so, yeah. And then I think that well, people are going to. I always I think into the future so much. Who's California going to get as their next senator? Well, you I cannot would love go to wrong see with Rokana. Rokana is one of my absolute favorite human beings in the world. Oh uh, Katie gosh. Porter is incredible. Katie Porter Katie is Porter. incredible. And if you're interested, if look them up, we don't have a lot of time. So we have to talk about the rebranding of your podcast. So I mentioned it before your podcast was called less stupid, which I thought was really funny and good. What changed, <laughs> what made you want to change it to broken class? Oh, wow. Well, I had, I had just, I was in a little bit of a different place when I started this politics uh, idea of running for 2020. And uh, I was, um, I was really, really stressed out in New York city in 2018 and coming back to, to Oregon in 2019. And I had uh, just some real frustrations and felt very isolated from living in the city. And um, I guess that I'm saying that to say that like, I really, wanted a voice and i decided to do this podcast and have have these conversations with people not and it, and i've been criticized because when i when i quote unquote interview people i i just talk a lot <laughs> you know i talk i share equal time i edit the waveform so i see that oh i i talked a little less than this person but or i talked right about the same amount i i rarely will spend more time talking but i also talk fast so i probably get more words in <laughs> and um I just felt like I wanted to make a podcast that that could like really get attention and you needed an attention grabbing name. And I was frustrated with um, with society not doing a lot of critical thinking. And so the po- the show less stupid, I would always ask people at the end, you know, people can see episode 150, uh, one, one through 175 um, people. I asked them, what's one way we could all be a little less stupid because I believed that it's not the exact same as just saying be smarter. Like we have to actively reject the influences of intolerance, stupidity, yes. idiocy. Like they're at our doorstep knocking all the time. They're in our commercials on our TVs and on our phones. So, so thinking about how we reduce that influence and that impact was something that I wanted to do in conversations with artists, politicians, uh, just a- anybody, business owners. So um, that was that. And I just kind of felt like um, I wasn't doing myself full justice about uh, the the tone of the show being very open and welcoming by having a name that sounds like I'm insulting people as being less stupid sure. uh, or as, as being stupid. And that's, that's never what you, what I'm really doing when you listen to the show. No, but um, so broken class was uh, just, I like that it's kind of can be interpreted a number of different ways. And that's always what I've liked about like my own rap name gradient. I know what it means to me, but other people think it means something different. Some people think it's just a math term because I'm Asian, like, you know, it's, it could be a whole number of things. So I like the open-endedness of broken class, but really it's me trying to do something that's educational um, while not currently being a teacher. Well, I'm sure that you looked it up to see if it existed and we're probably shocked it didn't, you know, you know, if there was another podcast with the same name. So, you know, that's always something when you think of something clever that really resonates with you and then you look it up and you're like, damn it. You know, so there is a band. I I spent the rent 
was my record label, which doesn't mean anything because it was my living room, but spent that, you know, what it means to me is I bought my first microphone with money that I, I spent that I should have been using for rent. So I spent the rent and it is about the underrepresentative Lane County, my podcast, as is your broken class show. You know, that's who you mm. end up interviewing. It's funny because uh, I can't remember her name offhand, but you'd done the interview with the woman running for uh, county or city councilor. And mm-hmm. you had said to her, it's like, I don't usually interview people that win. <laughs> you know, on the podcast. (laughs) And I can relate to that so much because the candidates that we have are trying to reach at any um, audience that they can, and they come on and they're gracious enough to give us their time because they're trying to get the word out and some name recognition built, even though we have small audiences or whatever it is that are growing daily, you know? And, and so we have very similar things that we do, but we have a different approach. It's really cool to get to call you my friend and to learn from you and to bounce ideas off you uh, there's such a growing podcast community in Lane County. Uh, Mark Molina, who actually was just elected as, to the board, uh, sub feel for sub utility board. Mark Molina has his uh, podcast where it's about uh, leadership and business solutions. And Bar- Mark has been a guest twice uh, on my show, and he will be again. And he's just an incredible human being. And another great podcaster, you know, and then I, I mean, I think Sammy warm hands needs to get a shout out for what he does with take 92. The podcast is incredible. It's music driven, but he's also got his Batman bat fanatic, uh, fan addict, whatever you say it show. So <laughs> Sam is just, yeah, a, he, he's an incredible he's taking, talent. He's taking COVID really seriously. Um, and I commend him for that. And when he, um, he's really just embraced the opportunity to do remote guests, calling people over the phone yeah. and, and having conversations with people. He really looks up to in uh, underground punk and hip hop scenes. Like he just had a great episode with illogic and that guy's yeah. fucking yeah. sweet. He gets Super some really tough work podcasts is one of my all time favorite podcasts. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's just so many talented people in Lane County. I was inspired by a podcast and the guy that told me to use anchor FM uh, that is called, uh, the good news podcast. And it's a short, uh, they started as U of O students and they're all over the country. Now I can't remember where they moved, but you know, they were the ones that told me about how to go about it and what programs to use. And then I relayed that information and, and some trial and error on my part. And I helped, uh, the people from the, the flock pod sports podcast, uh, Justin and Shane, I I helped them kind of get off the ground behind the scenes. They, Shane had called me and I told him, you know, what I had, I was so excited to share the knowledge of, of what programs I didn't like and what different, you know, websites were working for me and and whatnot. And that's one of the things I love about this community is we're not competitive with each other. You know, we want to just see each other grow and, and we bounce ideas. We have the same guests. Sometimes we listen to each other's show to prepare for our next episode. You know, it's really good. So broken class hosted by Thomas Huda. Uh, I, you know, say your name for me because I say it wrong every time. Well, you do it pretty well, but it, you make kind of a D sound, and it's Huda. 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 Yeah. I'm going to I'm gonna can that. I'm going to record it one time when I say it right, and then just say Thomas, and then push play. Huda. I really want to do a soundboard for my show at some point. There's all kinds of and fun like, ideas. Like I have an I, iPhone app and just like, yeah, probably so, not the beer, 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 but like things like that. <laughs> that it like the sports shock jock. Beer, beer, yeah. Well, Thomas, <laughs> it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for doing this, uh, you know, bright and early. Uh, we're going to end this with a song. 
So this is Gradient, uh, your MC name, Gradient. Just I want to say, if people are going to celebrate any election results, do it safely. Celebrate safely, y'all. COVID is spiking. We've had record cases the last multiple days in a row. So please listen to my music at home alone and (laughs) dance. No, I'm just kidding. Right. Yeah. So this. Thank you. Thank it's you been a lot of fun, man. You're very welcome, and thanks for doing this. And you'll be back again many times. I want to be a guest on your show as well. So, uh, this is Thomas Kira. Kira. Actual project. Gradient. I know, aka I Gradient know. with O behave. She said my shit is so far and I wonder how she would know cause it ain't dropped yet. He said it's better than he was expecting and now he regrets that he talks shit. Z said it's cheesy, I said I'm a veteran getting this cheddar with sharp wit. They said I'm red as a laser attached to a head in a predator shark pit. Wanna start shit? I'ma say O behave. You're on my only way. I got a one track mind. That means every song is a whole new brain. Voices inside me say, Tommy, don't do it to him. You're from Oregon, girl, play nice i grow a chip on my shoulder as big as a boulder though that's my new york advice been absorbing knives stuck in my back now it's cut up like 40 times so with authority i'm trying to protect you like esther to mordecai except for these sordid rhymes just want to flex and impress when the floor is mine so on this bad music shit just the bars that i hope you get bored and buy she said our shit is so fire and i wonder how she would know because it ain't dropped yet he said it's better than he was expecting and now he regrets that he talked shit z said it's cheesy i said i'm a veteran getting this cheddar with sharp wit they said i'm red as a laser attached to a head and a predator shark pit i'm retarded i'm a faggot i'm a lot if you want to unpack it i'm an arsonist with no matches kind of hard to diss i'm so batshit not a doubt that my kingdom is tragic and my bars are quick load that shit i'm a redneck i'm pro bass fish but nobody ever called me a fascist